Brilliant to see you folks. Welcome to church. Let me have a welcome to Paul's. If you're visiting with us, my name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and uh, you're our guest. It's great to be together as a church. Really excited about the next few weeks. Uh, Carol's at Destiny. You can, you can be praying for each of the services because I honestly believe this is going to be, we're going to see more people this year at Carol's at Destiny we've ever seen in any previous year. If you, if you agree with me, say amen. amen. I, I really believe that. But, but not just crowds of people, but massive impact in people's lives. So pray with me to that end. And uh, I, I me and Ange, we've been inviting so many people. And uh, I've never had so many people say yes to the invitation. So friends from all different sectors of society coming along. I'm sure you guys do too. And, and the folks, Church Online, have got their own carols at, at Destiny service as well. So uh, it's going to be really exciting. So pray with me for the, the huge impact that is possible at this time of year in so many people's lives. Uh, join me in welcoming our, our online congregation. Welcome, guys, Church Online. It's good to have you with us today. You're very much part of our congregation. It's joy to have you here. Um, we're going to turn to the Bible in a moment. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you that we're in your presence. We welcome you, God. We welcome you both here in Gorgie, physically, and we, we also, on behalf of those watching online, whether it's in their living room, on a bus when they're sitting watching their phone, or wherever they find themselves, I pray for your presence to be with us, that the author of the book would speak to us as we're reading the book. Come, Lord God. God, thank you. You love people. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You delight in people. You love people. And Jesus, we're in awe that you would give everything in order to die for people so that we could have eternal life. And I pray today that we would bask in that love. It would change our lives and you'd impact us fresh. For anyone who doesn't yet know you today, God, whether they're joining us online or whether they're here in person, I'm asking God that people would come to faith today. People would come to have faith in God and that would change their lives forever. Come Holy Spirit, move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there was a guy, he was, true story, visiting the Solomon Islands and he was getting a tour around, he was an atheist, getting a tour around the Solomon Islands, and he noticed that pretty much on every street corner, there was a church building. And it was really starting to annoy him. Uh, this atheist was seeing church buildings everywhere, all around the Solomon Islands. And the local guy who was giving him the tour, uh, he turned to the local guy and said to the local guy, why is it you've got all these church buildings everywhere? You don't need Christianity. You, all you need is modernism, good education, scientific knowledge. I mean, that outdated religion has no part in today's modern society. Why do you need Christianity? And then the local guy from the Solomon Islands told him, he pointed at a huge rock over beside the beach, and he said, see that large rock over there? And he said, yes. Well, he said, years ago, before the missionaries came to the Solomon Islands, when people visited our islands, we would smash their heads on the rock and chop them in pieces, and they would be lunch. If the missionaries hadn't come to the Solomon Islands, you would be lunch today. <laughs> so that kind of ended the argument. True story. But the, his, the, the point is this, that Christianity has had such a massive effect all over the world, changed societies from the inside out. And what we discover is that when Christians have learned not just to keep their Christianity to themselves, but to share their faith and to live out that faith in credible ways, it makes a huge impact in people's lives. We're going through a series entitled, Thank God It's Monday, because our passion as a church is to equip you folks to live an authentic Christian life, whether you find yourself at work or in your university or college or just in your community or around your family, that it's not just how you worship God on a Sunday when you're gathered with the church, but it's how you are through the week connecting with people who God has placed across your path and in your life. So that's, that's the heartbeat behind what we're sharing today. And uh, today I want to take you on a journey to Daniel uh, chapter 1. But before we get to the verses, let me give you some context. Daniel was in exile. He was a, he was a slave. He'd, he'd grown up and lived in Jerusalem. But when Jerusalem was destroyed and overthrown by the Babylonians, <clears throat> thousands upon thousands of people died. But also thousands were taken as captives 
slaves into exile in Babylon. Daniel was one of those slaves. So he finds himself in Babylon in a foreign environment. It was a vast city. At the time, Babylon was the world's superpower. It was a huge city, 14 miles wide, 14 miles long, and a perfect cube. Its walls were 90 meters high and 9 meters thick. It was impenetrable. It was an awesome place, and it had a dictator called Nebuchadnezzar ruling at the time. He was a vicious man, a very vicious, merciless individual. And he was domineering and taking over nation after nation after nation. And the Jewish people in Jerusalem happened just to be one of those nations. And God allowed it to happen because of their sin. They were taken into captivity. In Babylon, there was about 53 temples in this city dedicated to different idols and different deities. They didn't work, they worshiped everything other than the true gods. So you imagine you're Daniel. And the amazing thing is this Daniel influenced in that environment just as today God is calling you to influence in your environment, even though there might not be 53 temples where you're living to other gods. People worship everything other than the true gods, and God has called us to shine like lights in the darkness city. Amen, if you agree. Okay, so let's turn to with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king orders Asphanaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome and showing an aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So in other words, bring in some of the slaves, bring in some of the slaves from royal family, and let's indoctrinate them in the Babylonian ways. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were trained, they were to enter the king's service. Among them, among those who were chosen from Judah, was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he named them Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Now, he wasn't exaggerating. This is the kind of king that Nebuchadnezzar was. This was the kind of authority that those ancient monarchs had. You just flick the fingers and off with the head. Daniel said to the guard whom, uh, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance to that of the other young men who eat the royal foods, and treat your servants according to what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal foods. So the guard took away their choice foods and wine uh, that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. To these young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set for him by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. When the king talked with them, and none was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That last phrase, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, is actually quite significant because that's kind of four or five kings later. So Daniel, at this point, it was Nebuchadnezzar was the king. Then after Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar. Then there was Darius the Mede. And then there was Cyrus, the Persian. So that last phrase, so Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, tells us that Daniel influenced 
through the rise and fall of four, at least possibly five, monarchs. Two empires, the Babylonian Empire came and went, and the Medes and Persian Empire came in. Kings rose and fall, and yet Daniel just kept influencing and influencing and influencing through their reigns, through their lives. How on earth did a guy who was a slave in a foreign land, in a pagan environment, have such a massive impact? You read the whole book of Daniel, you'll see the scale of the impact he had. How did he do that? Question, how on earth can you and I, in our culture, in our society, where you find God has placed you, be an influence and have a long-term influence through people's lives that God places into your life? How is this possible? Well, I've got five keys from the book of Daniel, from Daniel chapter 1 in particular, that apply to your life. And these are keys that Daniel found, and these are keys that you will find to enable you to be that influence that God wants you to be where you are. So, number one, embrace your mission field. Say that with me. Embrace your mission field. You see, for the Jewish people being taken as captives to Babylon, it was bad news. It wasn't where they wanted to be. They wanted to be back in their homeland. They wanted to be back in Jerusalem. But because actually of their own sin, God allowed them to be overrun by the Babylonians, and they were taken, kicking and screaming, into Babylon. Many of them resented being there. But Daniel threw himself into the moment and gave himself to that mission field. It's interesting, a prophet called Jeremiah, writing from the Holy Lands to the people who were in exile, wrote to them and told them that they were to embrace their mission fields. This is what it says in the famous Jeremiah chapter 29. Listen to what it says. This is God speaking to the people in exile, and this is God speaking to you and I in our environment, in your mission field. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In other words, you're not there by accident. God's placed you there. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat, the, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for Edinburgh, pray for the Lothians, pray for wherever you're coming from with Church Online, pray for Canada, pray for whatever situation you find yourself in, pray for where you are, pray for the secular pagan environment you find yourself in, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then in that, in that context of that flow of thought, Jeremiah goes on to say, read it with me, verse 11, 4, help me, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, nice and loud plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has placed you where you are. So there are 32 million people in work in the United Kingdom. There are 2.8 million people who are Christians in work in the United Kingdom, seated among the population alongside people who don't know God are people that God has placed there who know him. You've been put there strategically, deliberately put there to shine like light in the darkness. And let me say, in the UK, people have never been more open than they are now. Don't, don't think, oh, people don't want to know about God. They absolutely do. They just don't want to present it in a weird way, or they just don't want to present it in the way that so often Christians do. But they are totally wide open to God's absolutely desperate, like, what, like, like people thirsty in a desert for a, for a drink, are people in our society for God, for truth, for reality of God's. You are carrying the answer that they need if only they knew the right questions to ask. That's what we've got, church. That's who you are. Why should you work? What, what's the importance of work? Let me give you a reason why work is important, a reason probably you've never heard before in your life. The reason your work is important is because the people you work with are important. The reason your work is important to God is because the people you work with are important to God. The reason your place of study is important to God is because the people you study with 
are important to God. The reason your community is important to God is because the people who are living in your neighborhoods alongside you are important to God. Therefore, all of a sudden, you have one big reason to embrace your mission field, to embrace your workplace. Because not, you see, more important than you earning money, more important than you having a job, is the people you're going to interact with in that work environment. God has placed you there. You might say, Pete, oh, you have no idea how dark my workplace is. Well, then that's good. You can shine brightly because the dark, you, don't, you don't even have to be that good a Christian. You'll just shine a little bit and it's so dark, you'll look really bright. So you'll be fine. Just shine where God has placed you. Shine where God has placed you. 18, 1868, there was a man called King Theodore of Abyssinia in, in Ethiopia. And he imprisons a British citizen called Cameron in the high fortress of Magdala. The British, the United Kingdom government, insisted that Cameron be released because there was no reason for his imprisonment in the first place. Uh, King Theodore refused to grant the request. So the, the United Kingdom amassed a large army, thousands of troops, and they headed by sea across the oceans. And then when they arrived, they traveled by land through miles and miles of hostile territory and finally lay siege to the fortress of Magdala. They overthrew the fortress and rescued Cameron and managed to safely return him home back to the United Kingdom. The, the whole exercise took thousands and thousands of people. It cost vast amounts of money just for one citizen. It's a kind of picture for me of exactly how God feels about any individual person you happen to be working alongside. You have absolutely no idea the lengths that God will go to to reach people. He cares for people more than we ever could. Jesus told the story of the, the lost son or the parable of the lost sheep or the lost coin, just to kind of get it into our minds how much God cares, how much God considers an individual and how much God is going after people. You are part of God's rescue plan. You see, Daniel's main reason for work wasn't money. Daniel's main reason for work was mission. God deliberately placed Daniel alongside a vicious dictator because amazingly, God had loved that vicious dictator since he was conceived in his mother's womb and he'd watched his life and was appalled at his behavior but longed for that man's soul to be rescued. And what's amazing, if you follow the journey of Nebuchadnezzar through the chapters of Daniel, he, you see him coming close to God, then pulling back, then coming close to God, then pulling back. And then eventually, it's amazing, in Daniel chapter 4, listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Imagine tomorrow morning on BBC Scotland. Nicholas Sturgeon coming on and saying, I, Nicholas Sturgeon, praise and exalt and glorify. I'm not saying that they're on a par. They're slightly different in many ways, okay? But I'm just saying that imagine, imagine a political leader stood out and said, I praise and exalt the King of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar came to that point of faith. How was that? Because God placed a Daniel as a missionary alongside him. The reason the place where you work matters is because the people you work with matter to God. Also, Darius, the Medes, came to faith in, in God as well through the influence of Daniel. C.S. Lewis, talking about the importance of human beings, said this, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their lives to ours as of the life of a gnat. But it is immortals we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. You've never talked to an ordinary person. No such thing. People are so important to God. I remember when I was, first five years of the church, I worked full-time as an architect in the city center. Uh, that, that's what I did while we started the church in our living room and then moved into a little primary school. For the first five years, as we got the church off the ground, I was working full-time as an architect. In the architect's office, I had lots of good conversations, chances to chat to work colleagues and friends about faith in Jesus. And uh, some were interested, some were not so interested. And uh, one of the guys that I managed to chat to was John the Cleaner. 
and it was round about Easter time, and I invited John to come along to our Easter Sunday services. But that, we didn't have a building at the time. We hired a little hall just along the road here. <clears throat> we had our Easter Sunday services, and John the cleaner came along. Now, John had arthritis in both his knees. You could see him struggling every day. We, we worked in one of the old townhouses in the new town, and it's stunning big building, high staircases, and you can see him every day struggling up and down, carrying Henry the Hoover, uh, struggling with his arthritic knees up and down these stairs. Anyway, at the end of the Easter Sunday service he came to, there was an opportunity, like there will be at the end of this service, if you wanted prayer. And so, um, I was going to say Henry, but no, John, get the wrong name there. John came forward at the end for prayer, and, uh, and I laid hands on his knees and asked that God would take away the arthritis from his knees. Instantaneously, the pain left, the clicking left, movement was fully restored. He was able to crouch and squat, and I mean, instantly, completely and utterly healed. It was awesome. He was blown away. Anyway, next day, Monday morning comes, Monday afternoon comes, four o'clock when John comes in to do his cleaning. He bursts into my office, right, big open plan office, bursts the doors open, and he said, everybody, I went to his church yesterday, and God healed my knees, and he starts doing all these squats and exercises in front of the people. It was cool. It was cool. It was a bit of a winning argument, you know, in my opportunity to tell my faith to my friends, you know, kind of like, that's kind of strong. That's kind of strong. Yeah, I remember one of the lassies I worked with, she was called Nikki, um, a secretary in the office. And again, every so often, into an occasional conversation about God, usually just talks about everything else, but every so often she would ask a couple of questions about God, and that was it. It didn't force the issue. That was just that, that was the interaction we had. I remember years later, I moved away from the architect's office, and uh, years later, out of the blue, I got a phone call from Nikki, and she had managed to get my number from someone else who had my number. And she said, Pierre, you remember me? I used to be a secretary. I said, yeah, of course I do. And she said, I've just had a baby. And I'm realizing, man, life is so important. And I think I need God in my life. And I said, I think I agree. So I managed to arrange for one of our pastoral women in our church to go and home visit Nikki. And she had the privilege over several visits to lead her to faith in Jesus. And eventually she got baptized. Isn't God awesome, right? So yeah, you can clap. But the point is this, that where you work, your work matters to God because the people you work with seriously, seriously matter to God. Number two, so embrace your mission field. Number two, live with resolve. This is what it says in Daniel 1 verse 8. But Daniel resolved, say resolve, he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, but he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, Daniel didn't have any problems. He didn't have some sort of kind of uh, humility complex that, oh no, who am I to eat fancy foods? You know, it wasn't something weird going on there that he thought he was, you know, he couldn't rise to having nice food. Nothing like that. God has no problem with you having nice fancy foods. His problem here was that in that pagan environment, the food would have been prepared in such a way that it would involve rituals and sacrifices to various idols. So Daniel didn't want in any way for him, he just want to compromise his faith in any way and participate in something that could be associated with idol worship. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself in that way. So instead, he settled for vegetables and water. Uh, and, and this was his desire. Now, in your desire to relate to people in your workplace, the danger is in your longing to be able to relate to people in your community or in your workplace or your place of study, is that you end up compromising to be like them in order to win them. But Daniel found he, he effectively won people to God's, but he didn't do that by compromising. You see, it's only the dead fish that go with the flow. Think about it. You thought about it. That was a good point. Okay, so here's another reason. Why work? Why work? Number, I've already said why work because the people who mat, you work with matter to God. But let me give you another reason. Why work? It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord's, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord's as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So above your boss is your boss's boss. 
He's called Jesus. So when you go to work, actually you don't go to work, you go to worship. You're turning up and you want to just do your thing to the glory of God. You know, whether it's you're a, you're a joiner, just in case you didn't know what that was. That, that was obvious, wasn't it? You're, I'm very good at this. What's the charades or picture? You're, you're sawing for the, in the name of Jesus, sawing for the glory of God, or you're I don't know, you're a doctor, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever you do, or you're a hairdresser, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You just want to give it everything for the glory. You turn up at work, you don't go to work, you go to worship. You see, there's no such thing as sacred work and secular work. Oh, Pete, what you now do is sacred work because you're a pastor. I mean, see the halo? You, you're doing sacred work, you're a pastor. But the regular folk, we do secular work. No, there's no such thing as sacred and secular work. You only have sacred and secular people. And if you're a sacred person, then your work isn't secular. Your work is sacred. Whether you work at Morrison's or whether you work along in the council buildings or whether you study, wherever you are, you are a sacred person. So all of a sudden, your environment becomes a place of worship. So live like that. Live with resolve. Number three, don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. Daniel 1 verse 7, it says that the chief official gave them new names to Daniel. He called him Belshazzar, to Hananiah, and Shadrach, and to, Mish- Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. To, to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he called them Meshach, Yoshach, and a bungalow. Sorry, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sorry, let's get that one right. So they get these new names, and these names were all related to false gods. You see, they're, they're old names, Hebrew names, related to the true God. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. And Azariah means servant of God. They're new names that were imposed upon them by the Babylonians, all related to false gods. So Belshazzar is Bel is my judge. False god Bel is my judge. Shadrach under Aku's command. That's another false god. Meshach, who is what Aku is? Another false god. And Abednego is servant of Nego, a false god. So they were trying, this culture was trying to close in on them. And they were immersed in Babylonian culture. They looked like the Babylonians now. They'd been there three years. They sounded like Babylonians now. They'd learned their language. They were well-educated like the Babylonians were in their culture. However, Their allegiance was to God and not to Babylon. Jesus, who is the ultimate missionary, gave us a fantastic statement in his prayer to the Father in the last day before his betrayal and before his crucifixion. He prayed in John 17, and it says in verse 15, my prayer for us, folks, for us, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So here you're, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. That's what God wants you to be. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Say that with me. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. So it's like the boat's in the water but the water's not in the boat. Boat in the water, well, that's what it was meant to be. But boat, water being in the boat, that's a problem. That's going to sink. And so you're in the world. That's great. You're meant to be there. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending them. You're de- God deliberately hasn't taken you out of the world. He's left you there to be a missionary. But the world can't be in you because that will sink you. That will take you out. So be fully engaged in culture, folks, without culture sin. Dress like the culture. Look cool and trendy. You've already done it. (laughs) Speak like the culture. Speak not Christianese and jargon. Just speak in a way that regular people get. Enjoy hobbies and sports like the culture enjoys hobbies and sports. But live in uncompromising faith in the midst of culture because that's what they're longing for. Go on the staff nights out, absolutely, but just don't get drunk. 
Hang out with your work colleagues, yeah, but just don't engage in the gossip and the bitching about your boss. Earn good money, absolutely, but make God your treasure, never money. Advance in your career path, yes, but do not sell out your soul. Many Christians stand out for all the wrong reasons. They're known for what they stand against, not for what they stand for. They're, they, they, they can't relate to ordinary people. They never socialize with anyone other than their Christian mates. But that's so not like Jesus. Stand out for radical love. Stand out for deep faith convictions. Stand out for a great work ethic. You're there to worship, not to work. Sorry, you are there to work, and that's your act of worship. Pastor said, I'm not there to work, boss. I'm just here to sing songs to Jesus. No, you're missing the entire point of what I'm trying to say. Would you listen properly and stop reading into it? Stop reading into it stuff that you want to hear that I'm not saying. Sorry, church online for the congregation here. They're a bit messed up. But you guys are understanding what I'm saying. Okay. Number four, learn their language. Learn their language. It says in Daniel 1 verse 3, Aspenaz, the chief of of the court officials, was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And then in verse 17 it says, how did they get on with their education? Here's what it says, verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Isn't it interesting that God blesses their secular education? God doesn't just bless you when you study theology, all right? God will bless you in your secular education. God was interested in that. If you're learning accountancy, if you're learning French or Spanish, or you're learning engineering, or whatever you're learning, God blesses secular education. God isn't just interested in the seemingly sacred. He's interested in the whole life that you're living in. And here's the fact. Without Daniel chapter 1, you wouldn't have Daniel chapter 2 all the way to chapter 12. If Daniel and Daniel chapter 1 hadn't taken the time to learn the language and the culture of the Babylonians, then he would have been irrelevant. <clears throat> and you wouldn't read of Daniel chapter 2 all the way to Daniel chapter 12 because there would have been no influence. He wouldn't have made the huge impact he went on to make if he hadn't at first learned their language and their customs. He did what all good missionaries do. Daniel heard from heaven, but he spoke in Babylonian. Say that with me. He heard from heaven, but he spoke in Babylonian. Say it again. He heard from heaven, but he spoke in Babylonian. That was his key. So you need to learn to be God's man, God's woman, hearing from God's, but learning to say it in a way that people you are around understands. Now, missionaries understand this. Missionaries do this all the time. If you're a missionary to China, imagine you were going to a remote part of China. Imagine you arrived there, and when you set up shop, you, you say, do you know what? I'm not going to eat the local cuisine. I'm only going to eat British beef that's been imported. What? And then you, you refuse to dress in the, in the local dress. You wear pinstripe suits. And you don't live in a local house. You, you get British builders to come over and build you a, a mock Georgian mansion in the middle of the rural village in China. And you don't speak through a translation. You don't speak their language. You don't learn Mandarin. Instead, you refuse. You, you just say, I'm going to speak in English, and you will have to listen to me through an interpreter. I mean, who's going to turn up to your mission event? No one's going to listen to you. You'll be the weird missionary guy that no one's listening to, and everyone will think they're irrelevant. No, you know that as a missionary, what do you do? You, you go and learn their language. You go and live in a house like they live in. You get a job like they have, and you enjoy the local cuisine. I mean, who wouldn't? Chinese food is the best, right? And then you tell them about Jesus in their language, and then you've got half a chance of them listening. You understand? That's what missionaries do. Sometimes we understand that if we're traveling to the other part of the world, and yet sometimes the gap between us and those we work alongside or study alongside or live alongside is just as big a gap because we speak Christianese, and they don't get that. We've become unrelatable, and God wants us to be like Daniel, speaking in Babylonian, but hearing from heaven. Now, Jesus was the ultimate missionary. It says in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Folks, Jesus is God, but at one point in history, he made a choice to set aside 
uh, not, not, not ceased to be God, but to set aside his divine privileges. <clears throat> and he became a man. <clears throat> he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. God's way of communication was incarnation. He left the streets of gold in heaven and walked the dust streets of Palestine. He left his throne to be born in a stable. He came from heaven to earth. God's got out of his comfort zone for you and for me. God's way of reaching us was not in your face, but rather in your shoes. God came so remarkably. I'm so grateful he came. Came for me, saved my soul, came for you, wants to rescue you. That's why God came. 2,000 years ago, we celebrate this at Christmas. God became a man, and he did it for us, did it to save us. You are so loved. You are not forgotten. God paid the price for you on the cross when he died and rose again. He did it to take away your sins so you could have heaven and not hell by putting your faith in Jesus. Please do that today if you haven't already done that. How did Jesus come? Well, he came, he, he ate what they ate, he drank what they drank, he went to their parties, he got a job like they had a job, he dressed like they dressed, and yet, and he also, he spoke about eternal truths, but he used everyday things to describe them. So he talked about fishing and farming and sowing and reaping and relationships and finances and, and work, and he used all these everyday examples to communicate eternal truths. He was a masterful communicator. In the Gospels, there are 132 records of him encountering a person. Of those 132, six of them were in the temple. Four of them were in synagogues, but 122 of them were on streets, beside wells, at parties, at weddings, under trees. God understood to reach people, you got to go and jump into their world, not expect them to jump into your worlds. The Pharisees accused Jesus in Luke chapter 7 of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think Jesus took it as a compliment. He said, you're always a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus understood that holiness was not separation from sinners, but rather it's separation from sin. He was relevant because he walked what they walked, but he didn't do what they did. He spends time with drunkards, but never got drunk. Spends time with corrupt tax officials, but yet never was in any way corrupt in his dealings. He loved and spent time with prostitutes, and yet never compromised his moral standards, not even once. Jesus was popular with the common man, but unpopular with the religious man. Today, so often, tragically, the church is the opposite of that. The church is popular with the religious and unpopular with the regular people. But actually, God wants us as a church, like Jesus, I don't care if we're popular or not with the religious, that doesn't bother me one bit. They can criticize us all they like. But I would like to be common, popular with the common people, because that's what Jesus was. I would love to love regular people, get, be a church that just gets alongside the folks that you get alongside, because Every person matters to God. Where you work matters because the person you work with really matters to God. Now, get your, get your writing fingers out. Get writing fingers out. Online as well. Get your writing fingers out. And draw a triangle with me. Go up, go in, and go out. Say up, say in, say out. Now, this was Jesus. Keep your fingers out. Jesus was up, say up. That means he was all about the Father. He loved the Father. He was in, say in. He loved the disciples. He loved the in crowd, the believers, the church, the house of God in, the disciples. And he was out, say out. He loved sinners. He loved people who didn't know God. So he was up, in, and out. All three. Now, some Christians are just up and in. That's all they are. Oh, we just love God's. We sing songs, we come to church, and you're in. Wow, I love the church. Love hanging out with believers. Can't, I can't wait to get to small group. 
but you have no connection with anyone outside of church. You are so unlike Jesus, because Jesus was also out. Other, other, other Christians, they're all about the in and the out. But they're, you know, they, they love hanging out with people, whether it's Christian people or non-Christian people. But they have no real deep connection with God. They hardly pray. I can't remember the last time they read their Bible properly. They, have no real ta- they don't take time to get to know their Father. You're so unlike Jesus. Jesus loved communing with the Father. And then other people are, well, they love the Father and they love the non-Christians, but no, I can't be bothered with the church. Wow, you are so unlike Jesus. Because Jesus called the church his bride. He loves the house of God. He loves the church. So you've got to be, get your finger out, get your finger out. You've got to be, all, you've got to be up, in, and out. Be like Jesus. That's balanced Christianity. Make sure your life looks like that. And then number five, fifthly and finally, flow with your gift. Flow with your gift. It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. He could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This became the key that unlocked many of the situations we saw unraveling in Daniel's chapters 2 all the way to chapter 12. He wasn't just a believer with great convictions. He also flowed with the power of God. And God wants you to be people who aren't just believers with great convictions. He wants you to be people who flow with the power and anointing of God in your lives. People are not just looking for new theories. People are looking for power. People are looking for you to manifest God's power where you are. You carry, as a believer, the very presence of God where you go. Where you go, God goes, and should be where God goes, you go. We walk with Him, and He works in us and works through us. What is the purpose of miracles, signs, and wonders? You know, interpretation of visions and dreams, someone getting miraculously healed, a prophecy. What is the purpose of these dramatic things out there? Not in the church, but out there. It says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them, confirming His words by signs that accompanied it. By signs that accompanied it. Do you know what? God delights in demonstrating the power of His love in people's lives. He delights in doing that. John Meller, who we've had speak a couple of times in our church, he, he's a famous healing uh, ministry. He sees gr- very dramatic miracles. In his book, he says that he see, often sees more miracles around non-Christians than he does around Christians. Not that God, God loves them more, but oftentimes God is, it's almost like the, it's confirming the message of God's love in that environment so that the non-Christians are like, oh, I want to come to this God. I believe in a God who delights in doing miracles. And through you, he wants to do these miracles. Operate in those gifts. A few weeks back, my daughter's just gone to university. Me and Ange were looking at a flat uh, for my daughter at university. And we were getting shown around by a lady who was showing us around the flat. And at the end of showing us around the place, uh, she, we were just literally about to close the door. She went, oh, ah, she went like this, ah. And uh, I said to her, are you okay? And she said, I've, I've, got, I've got a frozen shoulder, uh, and it's, uh, I can't really move it much. And I said, wow, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I believe Jesus is alive and he can heal you. Would you mind if I prayed for your shoulder? And she said, yeah, would you do that? I said, yeah, of course I would, so let's pray. So I placed my hands on her shoulder, and I asked, God, in the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus, I release your healing power in this arm. I heal her arm. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I prayed that prayer. And then I opened my eyes and I said to her, now lift your arm and move it around a bit. And she went like this. And she said, how did you do that? How did you do that? (laughs) How did you do that? I can't do that. So I I, I said to her, that wasn't me. God did that for you. And do you know why he did that? Because remember, a sign, like a sign, a sign points somewhere. So as soon as a sign happens, point them to where it's pointing. That's why God did miracles. Point. So do you know why God did that? He did that because he really loves you. He really cares for you. That's why God did that sign for you. Not only does he want you to have a a freed up shoulder, he wants you to know that you're loved by God. And I told her about Jesus. So just, it should be ever so natural. And you know what? It actually couldn't get any easier than that. It literally is so easy. 
This is not hard, what I'm describing. It's not like, oh, Peter, you've really raised the bar now. No, no, I've lowered the bar totally because God is as much with you as he is with me. Otherwise, the gospel isn't true, right? Either you're cleansed from your sin and God resides in your life or he doesn't, right? Believers, nods. Church online, nod. Camera, nod. Okay. So, yeah, you, either he is or he isn't. And if he is in your life, then why wouldn't he want to do exactly the same things through you as he does want to do through me? Of course he does. And it's, 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 it couldn't be easier. Why? Because you can't do it in the first place anyway, right? So, if you can't do it, then all you need to be able to do is just have a little bit of boldness to step out and let God do something that you couldn't have done and see what God does. Because I, I am convinced that the same God who accompanied his word with signs that confirmed it is the same God alive today who's pointing people today to Jesus. So amen if you agree. Now, I, one last story. I remember in the architect's office, it was so funny, we, were, we had a day trip in the summer into the Isle of Butte. Every so often you had to do a day out away from the office just to have some fun. And we went to the Isle of Butte and it was, everyone hired bikes. And there was three options. It was the round the island cycle route. And then there was the shorter cycle route for those who didn't want to exert too much energy. And then there was the over the middle of the islands cycle route, which was for the crazy people who just like, we didn't even know if there was a pass. Let's just go right over the middle of the island. So I went across the middle of the island route with about 10 others. And we hired these mountain bikes. And for part of it, there was a path. But for most of it, literally, we're just literally out in the wild. Now, we were, as we were cycling in the middle of the Isle of Butte, it was like we were cycling through marshlands. It was marsh and swamp. There was no path, and we were just slipping and sliding everywhere. And one of the directors in the office, Andy Law, his, his chain pinged apart in the middle of nowhere. No tools. His chain pinged apart. Now, I don't know if you know, but bike trade chains, but the links have a little pin that, link, that holds the two links together. And what happened is the pin had popped out of these two chain links, and they pinged apart. So we all got off our bikes. As he gets off the bike, oh, my chain's come apart. I looked down, literally in the middle of a moorlands. I looked down, and at my feet, my bike's here, at my feet, I reached down, and there's a pair of pliers with pincer tips, the kind you'd want if you wanted to push a pin back into a chain that had come out. Just exactly like if you'd gone to the ironmongery and said, I would like that one because that will fix my chain. That kind, right? Big pair of pliers with pincer tips. And I reached down, and I said, thank God, look what he's provided. It absolutely freaked them out, freaked them out. At, to this day, Andy Law, on his, he, he owns a yacht, and on his boat, he's still got those pliers because he was still bl so blown away by that. And I, I remember from then on, everyone got jobs for day trips. Some people, oh, your job is to bring the drinks, your job is to bring the barbecue, your job is to bring the meats, yeah, da, da, da. everyone had jobs. My job from then on every year was the weather. <laughs> so I said, Peter, you're in charge of the weather. And we always had great weather. I delegated it, I delegated it. <laughs> How funny is that? But just, just... I mean, it's just a funny thing, but that happens, and it freaked them out. It messed with their heads, and they knew what I stood for. They knew that I stood for Jesus Christ, the one who had risen from the dead, and they knew that message. So church, be radical. Church online, be radical where God's called you to be. Let those gifts flow. How do you sustain this ongoing relationship and power of God's it says about Daniel, in his old age, Daniel 6, verse 10, three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, giving thanks to his God. Just visit God often. Live in an atmosphere of his presence. Every day, just seek him, love him. You might not be perfect, sure, but God forgives you. God accepts you. God radically saves you. Now shine as a light in the darkness. Be close to the source and let the miracles happen. God wants to bring glory to himself through your precious lives. And God wants to reach the precious people he has, he has placed you around certain people that he wants you to be the means by which they come to everlasting salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, your presence with us. Thank you for the online congregation. Thank you for the physical congregation here. God, thank you that you are among us and with us. And God, thank you, God, you have placed us, each one uniquely, in places of influence. For some of us, it's, you've placed us in a family. For others, you've placed us in a community. For others, you've placed us in, our, in an academic institution. For others, we're in a workplace. And we're there by the design of God's to influence and to bring your light in the darkness, to bring your blessing where there's been depression and sadness. I pray God empower us to live that radical life, to shine like lights in the darkness, to bring your love to people who so desperately need it. 
Now just everyone pray. Take a moment to make your own decision about this. Commit to being an influence where you are. Make that decision just now before God. While people are praying, it might be today that you're here and you just don't yet know God. You haven't got a relationship with God yet. And I just want to say to you, I'm so pleased that you're here today. And if you're joining us online, I'm so pleased you've connected. But if you don't yet have a relationship with God, this moment is for you. And I believe God has deliberately and intentionally brought you into this environment today so you can meet him. So that's you today and you want God in your life. Very simply, I invite you to pray this prayer with me under your breath. Say, dear Lord God, thank you for loving me so much. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on that cross and rising again. I believe, Jesus, you did that so that I could be saved. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me for all my sins. Change me forever. Be Lord of my life. I I believe you're risen from the dead. And I want to follow you now, Lord. I commit myself to you. Keep your eyes closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, or if you're online and you prayed that prayer, this is your moment to respond. With everyone's eyes closed here, I'd like to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Could you just very simply raise your hand and say, that's me today. Pete, I prayed that prayer. Thank you so much. It's awesome. Is there anyone else? Thanks, mate. It's brilliant. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Is that you? It's great. And anyone else before I pray? God, I want to thank you for uh, my friends online who have responded and for those here in person who have responded. I thank you, God, for you've heard their prayer as they put their trust in Jesus, the one who died and rose again. Thank you, the Bible says, that you have given them a gift, and the gift is the gift of eternal life. Bless them, O God. Let this be the beginning of a great journey with you. Fill them with your love and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Those precious people who prayed, before you go, I'm going to get one of the team to come and pray with you again, so don't rush off at the end. We're going to stand and worship.